0: Scripture reading for this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 12 through 20. Page 955 on your Pew Bible. Let's stand together. 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Let's be seated and take a moment to meditate on God's word. I wonder
1: when you go to the grocery store or you clip coupons, what discount captures your eye? Ten percent off? I mean, ten percent off. You can get that by just asking for it at the register. That didn't catch your eye. What what catches your eye? Here's what catches my eye: buy one, get one free. Like, buy one, get one free. I'm on buy one get. Even if I don't need it. <laughs> or two for one, right? Because there's something about feeling like you got something free. And so I, Nancy sends me to the grocery store. We need. Orange juice, milk, and eggs. What do you have to pass to get to orange juice, milk, and eggs? Strategically, the ice cream case, right? And what's always on sale? The ice cream, and it's always two. It's one of these brands. It's two for one, buy one get one free. And and who doesn't need a little more ice cream in their freezer case? So that, that's what catches my eye, two for one, that catches your eye, doesn't everybody likes two for one, everybody likes getting something free, if you're like that, you're so glad you came to Christ Community Church this morning, because this morning is two for one, I am going to deliver two sermons in the time it takes one, let, let me just get a good amen for that, amen, amen. all the high school da- guys down there, yes, two for one, I'm so glad I came today. There's so much content here, and there's a few things that I need to set in stone just about being a Christian, or if you're here thinking about being a Christian, that are so key that Paul lays out. And then there's a few, a couple of realities that I want us to take home with us as we think about this topic of sexual immorality. So let me deliver two sermons. Here's the first one. Three key phrases... Very critical in information if you're thinking about following Jesus. Very critical phrases if you're here saying, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing. What, what are the key phrases that I would need to know? And I suggest that Paul delivers three of them here. And, and three critical pieces of information for clarification If you're here as a follower of Christ, this wouldn't be new for you, but it would be helpful to have it really clear in your mind. So the first sermon, first point. So if you're taking notes, verse 19, first critical phrase, you are not your own. Let's say that with me. You are not your own. We already said it one time in the Heidelberg Catechism, did we not? What is your only hope in life and in death? And what's the the beginning of the answer? That I am not my own. We've got to have that locked down in our brains. If you're you're considering following Christ, you, you need to understand that if you do, you will no longer be your own. If you are following Christ, you need to have it clear in your mind that you are not your own. And the reason you're not your own is set. Paul says it right there in verse 20. Why? You you are not your own. I am not my own because I was bought at a price. And what's the price? The cross. If you're following Jesus, you were bought at a price. His grace is free, but it wasn't free to him. It's free to you. It cost him something. It cost him His life. And so the gospel is the story about God, the true story about God sending Himself into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And on the cross, He took His perfect life and His perfect blood and shed it for you. He had an exchange on the cross. He took your sins, He died the death you and I deserve, and He exchanged that to you, if you trust in Him, with His perfection. And that's why on the cross, one of the last cries on the cross from Jesus is "It is finished." It's actually an accounting term. It's a it's a payment term. It's something you would stamp on a document to say "Paid in full." And so when we sing "Jesus paid it all," that's what we're trying to say. And then what's the next line? "And all to Him I owe." See, I'm I. He paid it all, and now I'm not my own. I was. Bought at a price, and this idea of payment runs all the way through the New Testament. You'll pick it up in your Bible reading. Matthew 20:28, 20, the Son of Man, or Jesus, the way he describes himself, did not come to be, to, to be served, but to serve and to what? To give his life as a ransom. It's a payment term. To give his life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption. Same idea, a payment has been made through his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So this word ransom and redemption, it's the same Greek word, and it has to do with the price that you have paid to to set a slave free. And the idea is loosening a rope. So we were slaves to sin. We were bound up in our sin. And we had this giant rope that was too big for us to break the bonds of. And the Bible's very clear about our condition. If you don't know Jesus, you're a slave to sin. But on the cross, he makes a payment for that sin. And by trusting him, these ropes are broken and you're set free. You're now able to walk out of that prison of sin and you're able to live the, the, the life that God designed you to live. If you don't know Jesus, you just live according to your own desires. If you do know Jesus, you, you live according to his desires. You're not free to do whatever you want. You're free to live the way you were designed to live. That's the gospel. So you are not your own. If you're following Jesus, you're not your own. If you're thinking about it, just got to have that locked down. I'm not going to be my own. If I live for Jesus number point number two in this first sermon you are not your own means verse 13 your body belongs to the Lord your body belongs to the Lord you're not the owner of your body Jesus is the owner and when Paul uses the word body he's not just refer, referring to your arms and legs he's referring to your whole being it's what he try, he's trying to communicate there and Jesus really was communicating it this way in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Your, your whole being belongs to the Lord. You're, you're committing everything to him, not just your physical body, but everything that makes up you as an individual. So if you're thinking about following Jesus, your whole being now belongs to him. Now this idea, this particular idea of our whole being belonging to the Lord created quite a tension in Corinth, and I believe it creates quite a tension in our culture. If you were to go to the first century Corinth, it's a very popular town, and it was located on two, basically on two harbors. So there were sailors that came in from the east and sailors that came in from the west, and they dropped off their goods and then moved them back. It was also a very athletic town. It was a very commercial town. There was a banking town. So there was a lot of, lot of traffic through Corinth. And at the highest part of the city was a temple that was dedicated to Aphrodite. The, the goddess of pleasure. So you have a lot of sailors coming in. A lot of business people traveling. And they a- end up in this city. Historians say that that temple every day had a 1,000 prostitutes. So all the business people, all the sailors could go to that temple and have their sexual appetites satisfied. The reason this was creating quite a stir is because sex outside of marriage, if you lived in Corinth, was totally normal. I mean, that was just, everybody understood, everybody did it. It wasn't, it wasn't like a big deal. So here Paul's going to come in and say something different, and it's like, hey, that's totally different than the way we've grown up, the way we've lived. And I would say that same tension, and you know this, it exists in our own culture. Maybe a little bit in a different way. We don't have a, a, a temple at the high point of our city, but just consider a couple of examples most of you are familiar with the website Ashley Madison. It became popular when their um, computer was hacked a couple of years ago. And it's a website for dedicated to adultery. Imagine that. Hey, I'm thinking about building a website. What for? Hmm, how about adultery? I mean, how does somebody think about that? Big, Big one-page ads in newspapers. This is one of their ways they sell their product. Seventy-four percent of men would have an affair if they knew they wouldn't get caught. And then underneath that headline says, so what are you waiting for? Another one of their slogans, life is short, have an affair. See, in our culture, it's becoming more and more normal. To have sex outside of marriage. That's what they're trying to do. Normalize this. Say it's everyone's doing it. This week, I read an article about the Olympics that are coming up. Very excited to see those. And just different things about security and safety and the number of people and all this kind of stuff. And in the article, it mentioned that the the in the Olympic village where the athletes were staying, they're provided with stuff from the Olympic committee. And each athlete... Upon arrival, receives 37 contraceptives for a two-week stay. Now, why is that? Because sex outside of marriage is normal. They understand it's normal. It's not just normal for our culture. It's normal for the world. And so Paul's coming into Corinth, and Paul could be coming into Wilmington, North Carolina, saying, I know you think that's normal, But God has a different plan. And the the, the challenge for the people in Corinth was that they had heard the apostle Paul preach. They were actually coming to the church. Remember, this letter is for people inside the church. He's not scolding the people who don't know Jesus for their sexual immorality. He's scolding the people who do know Jesus for their sexual immorality. And so he's come. the, The people in Corinth are saying, okay, we've heard Paul. We want to follow Jesus. But we don't want to give up our sexual appetites and cravings. Hmm, So we're kind of stuck here. He's been telling us one thing. We want to follow Jesus, but we have our, our physical appetites that are sort of causing us to move in this direction. How can we bring these two things together? That was their thinking. And they came up with this little slogan. You see it in verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. See, that's in a quotation. So Paul's just borrowing a little slogan in their day inside the church. And what they were saying is, hey, your sexual appetite is just like food in your stomach. I mean, you have certain hungers, and you go out and have a hamburger because you're hungry for something. And you just have physical hungers. You can't really control it just like your, your uh, hunger for your stomach. You have sexual desires, and so you just have to go out there and satisfy those sexual desires. Let's see if this line of reasoning sounds familiar to you. I believe in God, and I believe he made me to have certain appetites. It's not wrong to have these appetites for things like food and sex. So I satisfy those hungers. Is that okay? I mean, God made me, I'm wired a certain way, got certain appetites. Some are for food. Some of them are for sex and others. So he wired me this way, so I must be able to satisfy these things the way he's wired me. Is that okay? You can just see just how this is going to work out very poorly. And you don't have to be a Christian to understand this. If, if sex, if your hunger for sex and sex is equated with your hunger for food in your stomach, then people get reduced to objects. That's just a truth. That doesn't have to be any, a Christian truth. That's just a reality. And you can turn on the television almost every single day and see the damage that has done in our culture. People have preyed on other people because they just view the other people as objects to be used. And thank the Lord there's some rebellion against that. That's a good thing. It's very important to see their reasoning. My my sexual hunger and my going to have sex in whatever form, that's just normal. It's just like I'm hungry and I go to the cafeteria to get something to eat. And let's see how Paul addresses this particular issue in Corinth. He says, well, yeah, your food is meant for the stomach, but, you know, those things are going to be destroyed. But But your body... How you engage sexually is actually meant for the Lord. So it is true, food is for the stomach. You're making a good parallel, but then you're trying to take that over here to an area. It doesn't work. How you engage sexually, how you use your body, it's actually meant for the Lord, meaning it's not meant for you. Do you hear that? Why? Because your body is not your own. That's what Paul's trying to help us understand, that, that if you're a Christian, you have a new ruler over your body. You used to be the old ruler over your body, right? But you met Christ, and now he's the new ruler over your body. So what do you have to do, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9? I have to beat my body, and I've got to make it my slave. Because I have all these desires that are going to burst out and cause me to do things that now, because I have a new ruler, I have to live in a different way. And so we don't get to live according to our physical or emotional appetites because we're ruled by God. So your your sexuality doesn't belong to your body and your desires. This is so critical to understand. Your sexuality does not belong to your body and your desires. Your sexuality belongs to God. Now, if you're a Christian, you should know this. If you're not a Christian, this is critical information for you. Because if you say, I'm going to put myself underneath the the rulership of Jesus because he bought me at a price, then, then I'm going to live according to his rules, which is the third point. If I'm not my own, if my body belongs to the Lord, especially in regards to sexual practice, then how do I know what God wants? How do I channel these hungers in God-glorifying ways? This is the third point in my first sermon. Verse 16, it is written. How do I know... What's right? I mean, what I've been doing is just following my desires. Now I've gotten underneath the lordship of Jesus. How do I know what he wants? He's the new ruler. Well, thankfully, it is written. God is the divine designer, and he's the owner. And the Bible is like the owner's manual about how to live your life according to God's desires. So again, this is so important. It has to be clear in in our minds. If you decide to trust in Jesus... If you decide to give your whole being to Christ, then you don't get to write the owner's manual. I just want to say that so clearly. If you decide to follow Jesus, he's provided an owner's manual. Here it is. It is written. It's exactly how Paul's doing it. Hey, I understand all of y'all's desires. I know how you grew up in Corinth and blah, blah, blah. But it is written. He doesn't say, I said something. Or I think something, no, something was written, and we're following this owner's manual. Our body works in a particular way that God has designed, and he's the owner. He's, he's the designer, and so he's saying this is the way you're supposed to live. And if you were to, if you could just turn to the chapter in here about sexual uh, desires, he would say those are God-given great desires. He even quotes Genesis chapter two twenty four that sex came from God in a good way, it's beautiful, it's healthy, but it's only beautiful and healthy in God's design when it's between one man and one woman inside the covenant of marriage. Is that clear? Now, that's not our cultural take, but God in the manual is very clear. He he has designed sex. It's a good thing. He's for that. But he's for it in a particular way, and that way is between one man and one woman. And it's inside the covenant of marriage. Now, probably the best illustration that I've used many times here is that your sexual behavior is like a fire in your home. Is a fire in your home a good thing? Well, as long as it's in the fireplace, it's a good thing, right? But a fire in your home, in the kitchen, or in your bedroom, or living room, that's not a good thing. So the fire is, your sexual appetite is a good thing, and it's supposed to be located in a certain way in the fireplace. And if it's in this context between one man, one woman in marriage, then it can warm up a whole home. But if your sexual desire jumps out of the fireplace in any way, pornography, homosexuality, adultery, any kind of sex outside of marriage, then it burns things down could burn down your whole family I've seen it happen somebody couldn't control the fire it got outside of the covenant of marriage and it's burned down a whole family children's lives burned down could burn down a whole church Could burn down a whole culture. And as David in the Old Testament found. Could burn down a whole nation. See this is a very powerful fire. And it's meant for good. It's such a good thing. But it's meant for a particular place. And when it gets outside of that place. Burns things down. So let me conclude this first sermon very carefully. If you're a follower of Jesus or considering becoming a follower, then you don't get to write the owner's manual. Our bodies belong to the Lord, He has the manual. He's clearly laid out boundaries for sexual activity. Number two, my concern. I think many people inside the church want to live like the Corinthians. Not just on this issue, but other issues. You've heard preaching. You've responded to the gospel. You want to follow the Lord. But there's something about your old desires that don't match with the Bible. And so instead of saying, well... I've got to live by the owner's manual now because I was bought at a price. You instead try to reinterpret the owner's manual or make it say something that doesn't so you don't have to change. That's the Corinthian way of living. I want Jesus, and I also want to fulfill whatever these desires are over here and in any way I like. So if I have a certain desire, if I feel like I was born this way and it doesn't fit with God, then I've got to change the manual in some way to make sure I fit inside the, the, the boundaries. Does that make sense? People do this all the time. It doesn't have to just do with sexual immorality. So if you're doing that, I think you're in a, in a dangerous place. Second sermon. Oh. This is the free part, right? This is the free one. It's actually only two points, so it's a little bit like buy one, get one at half price. So I'm sorry about that. But here's, here's my second sermon. I could say so much more here, but I'm, I, I just want to point out two, two realities for Christians that you need to have in your mind when you're faced with temptation, the temptation of sexual immorality. There's two realities I want you to have in mind when you're faced with this temptation. And everyone is going to be faced with this. And we're all regularly faced with it in our culture. Number one, a practical reality is that Paul understands there's an ongoing war to rule our heart. Paul understands that there's ongoing war to rule our heart. Look at verse 12. They've got another slogan. Again, you see it in quotes probably in your Bible. All things are lawful for me. Probably they picked this up from the apostle Paul himself. Because he said, hey, we're not doing the Jewish Old Testament law things. We're free from that. And so they said, oh, good, all things are lawful for me. And Paul wants to put a qualifier on this little slogan. And he does it by by saying, hey, but I'm not going to be enslaved by anything. So there are some things that now are lawful, but I want to be careful. I don't want to get enslaved by anything. He's saying, be be careful, be wise. Don't use your freedom to become enslaved or mastered or dominated. See, Paul is an expert in the condition of the human heart. He is so perfect at this. He understands every human heart is the battleground for worship. You and I were designed to worship. And when shiny objects come along, they capture our attention. They might capture our emotions. And he knows this is a big battleground. So he's saying, be careful. There might be some good things out there that if you grab hold of them or you grabbed hold of them too many times, you begin to worship them and they begin to dominate you. Paul Tripp says this, On this side of eternity... It's never enough to simply say this thing is permissible for me. On this side of eternity, it's never enough to simply say this thing is permissible for me. The issue isn't whether this thing is permissible. The deeper issue is will this permissible thing begin to enslave my heart? Will this permissible thing... Began to enslave my heart. If it will, I've got to really put the brakes on. Let me give a couple of examples. Is it permissible for me as a Christian to have an iPhone? To surf the internet? To have an Instagram that's connected to all my friends? Is that okay? Is it permissible for me to read books of fiction or watch movies? Is it permissible for me? What's the answer to those two questions? Yes, it is. Some of you are like, I think it's yes, but I don't know. <laughs> so I'm just going to do like this. Like, I meant to say no. I, I see you out there. Okay, so you said yes. That's the right answer. But But here's what I want to ask now. Can you see that these permissible activities have the potential to capture your heart? Do you see that? See, if you don't see it, I've got to help you see it, right? Because it is true that all of these things, Paul, it's just Instagram, it's just a movie, it's just a book of fiction, it's just an iPhone. And I would say, yes, you're free to have those things, you're free to watch or read those things, but be careful, Because in those things, something could capture your heart. And I want you to be very careful because just one one flirtatious comment. One suggestive picture on the sidebar of your newsreel. Now, you know they, they know who you are when you're online. I hope you know that already. They've identified me as a fifty-something-year-old male, because I get advertisements on my newsfeed that fifty-something-year-old females in Wilmington are looking for me. I, I see that every time. <laughs> I don't know how they figure this out? I didn't know so many women in Wilmington were looking for me. But do you see what happens? I just—it's funny, but I want you to see. They know the hooks in your heart. They know these things. So I'm a 50-something-year-old man who might, per- might right now be dissatisfied sexually with my wife. And here's somebody over here who is looking for me. And do you know that could capture my heart? I'm aware of that. I'm aware that I could have some people on my Instagram who post things that that capture my heart. So I just have to say, you know what, I can't follow that person. And you might say as a Christian, whoa, you're telling me, I'm just saying, would you be aware of the weakness in your own heart to so easily get captured and so easily get dominated? It can just be one little moment, one little conversation, one little... One little screenshot, and your heart just leaps after that thing. That's why Solomon, who's very familiar with destructive sexual behavior, says this in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else. Okay, so here's the wisest man ever known to be on the earth. He's going to say something important, right? Above everything else. What does he say? Guard your heart. Just be smart. If you're a teenager, just be smart. Don't think too much of your own strength. Paul's very simple advice. Flee. Verse 18. This good thing that God has created, sexual intimacy, it has the power to destroy so it's not something you negotiate with. It's not something you live near the boundary. When you know your own heart and you see a potentially dangerous situation, you flee. You you go in a diff, uh, different direction. You shut something down. You, you close something off. You don't want to be anywhere near that. Now, when I was in Young Life and we would have a, a camp situation with a bunch of high school students, a lot of times you'd have a conversation with... Individual high school students or maybe the larger group. And if it was a group of Christians, what kind of questions do you have about the Christian life? 100% of the time. What would a high school student ask about sexuality? How far, right, is too far? Now, just the question, what is it saying? I would like to know the boundary and live. Right at the boundary. Do you, do you see just that all by itself? Do you see what they're doing? I'm trying to live as close to, as I can to the boundary. And the Apostle Paul is saying, flee, get away from the boundary. Don't stand near the boundary because your heart is very weak. And when you get very close to the boundary, it can easily leap over to the other side of the boundary so he's saying this is a this is a powerful force in your life my concern is that we underestimate the power of our sexual hunger we overestimate the strength of our heart and we don't flee When you get the sexual engine rolling down the track, very difficult to stop. But we say, "Ah, that's not a big deal. I can watch that. I can have that magazine. I can have that news feed. It's not just not a big deal." Don't don't over oh don't underestimate the power. Don't overestimate your own strength. Second and last point of this, these all, both sermons. This, this deserves a whole sermon, but I won't give it at that kind of time. There's a redemptive reality when you're facing sexual immorality. There's a physical reality. I've got to know my heart. I've got to know how easy it's captured by things. I've got to flee away from those things. That's just sort of like the practical realities that you would have placed in your life. And then there's a redemptive reality that Paul wants you to keep in mind Very powerful verse, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies, what does he say? They're members of Christ. When when you come underneath him as a leader, you're actually connected to him in a way that's like saying you're part of his body. You're that intimately attached. Verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You see the value Paul's giving to your body. These are stunning claims. But what Paul's trying to help us unpack here and understand is that our bodies and souls aren't somehow separated. They're they're together. They're two parts of this same whole. So when I say yes to following Jesus' body and soul, I'm intimately connected to him, just like a marriage. That's the illustration he wants you to say to understand. When two people become get married they become one flesh when you get connected to christ it's like a marriage you come you become intimately connected with jesus so you would never become intimately connected with a prostitute verse 16 see that paul says never this is melting paul's brain right here You can't understand somebody who thinks they are intimately connected with Jesus and think that they can be intimately connected with somebody who's not their wife and it not pose a problem. Never, you would never do that. One last quote. There is no such thing as casual sex, no matter how casual people are about it. No one can take sex out at night and put it away until they want to play with it again. Nobody can go to bed with someone and leave their soul parked outside. Sex is such a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. It was made before the fall. It's the way God designed us. But with sin, we pervert everything especially our sexual hungers. But if you say you're a follower of Christ, then you say, hey, I'm taking all of my desires and I'm submitting them to Jesus. And I'm going to learn how to follow his manual. Now, I'm going to be aware of, of the physical realities. I'm going to be aware of how weak my heart is and how easily it can be captured by something. So I'm not going to even use my freedom as an excuse to do things that would be bad for me. And I want to remember, I want to remember as a Christian, I'm connected to Jesus. We are connected in a way that would be like a marriage. And so this is a perfect Sunday to have communion. Because you're coming up and you're remembering, I'm connected. We're one body here. And I want to honor you. I want to glorify you with my body. Verse 20. So the deacons are to come forward, and you come come when you're ready or when they come to your row. But I, I really want to just take a moment just to consider just the, the condition of your own heart in the, the context of sexual immorality. Do, are you... Are you aware of the things that capture your heart? Are you aware how weak your heart is? That it just only takes one little flirtatious phrase, one little picture to cause you to move across a boundary? Are you trying to live at the boundary? You're just always trying to live at the boundary. Would you pray for God to give you strength? Would you come forward if you're a Christian and say, just remind, I'm connected with Jesus' body. If you're not a Christian, then we'd ask you to not come forward. But think about what is ruling your lives. What desires rule over you? Let's pray together. Lord, as we come, we think about the bread that you took, which you said, "This this is my body. And this is... My blood that was shed, you paid a price. It's a price that we couldn't pay, and you did it with grace and kindness and mercy so that we could be connected again to you. So I pray that you would take these elements and serve your people in a way that would encourage their hearts, their minds, their soul, and their strength. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.